The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. It is a Thursday. We appreciate you tuning in today. Phil Elson with you and Ty Richardson in studio. Uh, it is uh, just about four days from Ty's journey down to SEC Media Days. I'm excited for later on in the show, Ty. Actually, really just about 30 minutes because we have the unquestioned star of SEC Media Days joining us, as he usually does on Thursday, uh, the uh, Democrat Gazette's uh bob holt the intrepid bob holt i think that's the best term to use for bob for the media days because i mean he's just i want to i want to ask him how many questions do you come armed with i mean he's he's, he's going to be in there for every for every media session with every coach um i i thought i read a, a piece from a few years ago in uh, al.com the alabama uh well it's the birmingham newspaper but al.com about out of uh what was it like 27 questions that had been posed to Gus Malzahn at that year's media days that, that uh, Bob Holt asked seven of them. That's quite, that's quite a percentage of, uh, of number of questions asked in a media session. So it's funny, too, because, you know, you got a lot of stars uh, that are going to be at media days. I mean, expected stars from SEC media days uh, coming up over the next, uh, you know, or over the next week. A lot of egos down there. Well, egos as far as the who are you who do you mean when you say the egos? You mean the players? You mean the coaches? Do you mean the media? Who do you think? All three, all of all them. of the above. Like people that deservedly so have egos, people that don't deserve to have egos. It's just an interesting mix of people, Phil. I I can't I can't put it into words to explain it that well, but it's just a very interesting mix, and it's always I'm telling you something always comes out of this week, and it's. We're going to get something. That streak's going to continue next week. But but I think when it comes to, you know, I guess I guess I have to I have to uh, tamp the or, or at least to delineate between media stars. I mean, you have your TV media stars. You know, there's probably no none bigger than uh, I would assume. You know, Paul Feinbaum when he when he's when, he, when he's at media days, uh, radio, TV, all of that stuff. Those are people that are more out in the public eye uh, with their personalities. When it comes to the print media stars, wouldn't you say Bob's at the top of the list? I would, yeah. And you mentioned that article written at AL.com. Michael Cassandra, I was think, was the one that wrote that article. And he's well-respected. Like, Bob is very well-known, it, whether it's, I mean, different. Obviously, Arkansas media members know Bob Holt, but then there's other media members that know him as well, whether it's different coaches, whether it's different media members. They know him. They He had a little... He had a little Good going back and forth with Barry Odom last year. He's had conversations. Obviously, you mentioned Gus Malzahn. The coaches know who he is, and Bob's persistent. That's one of his better qualities as a journalist. And you mentioned this a couple weeks ago, how he wants to get a certain answer, and he's not—he's never shied away from a question, which I think certain people in this industry are scared to invoke a certain reaction from a player or coach or whoever they're interviewing. Bob's not. Bob's okay with doing that, but he gains 
a certain level of respect, not only from his coworkers, his different members of the media, but he also gains a respect from the, the people across the way, which are typically the coaches and players, because they know he's going to bring it, so they better bring it as well, Phil. You know, it's interesting because we have, as far as SEC media days are concerned, for our guests today, we've got the extremes. I mean, we've got the one writer that is is probably more well-known than any other writer in Hoover next week joining us. That is Bob Holt. And he's been there for, man, I want to th- say he's been to like like 28 consecutive Media days. Done it since, uh, covered the race back since 1981, so do the math. Yeah, do the math. He's been at every media day that there's been, I think, for the SEC since they joined. Uh, and probably could tell you what it was like back when it used to be the other way around, when the, the, the universities would send their coaches and players to the other cities to visit and so that they could meet with each of the writers that they would be uh, seeing at some point during the year. So you got Bob Holt, who's Mr. SEC Media Days, and then since he wasn't able to join us yesterday, uh, Bill King joins us later on in hour number two, and as steeped in the weeds in college football as Bill is, and certainly as he pays attention to every league in, in, the, uh, in the country, even the Pac-12 reluctantly, I'd say, He'd, the the SEC is at the forefront of of Bill's thoughts. Yet he doesn't. He, I don't think. Not only does he not go to SEC media days, I'm not even sure if he pays all that much attention to. I think Bill King kind of lies in the camp that Bobby Swafford put himself squarely in yesterday uh, when we had the uh, the sports director of Five News on. And what was that? You you had quote you had quoted him on on the hit that line Twitter feed. What was it exactly that he had said? Because he wasn't too kind to the idea of SEC Media Days meaning anything much than just flapping gums. I think it was something along the lines of the most overblown college football event. And that might not be word for word. I don't want to take words out of his mouth, but I'm pretty sure that's what he said. And concerning Bill, Phil, he just has hated it because he had to do it for so long over and over again. And for those who don't know, I know I've referenced it before, Bill was a longtime Sirius XM guy, so he had to go every single year and he just at a certain and do a show for the entire week correct. there too right I correct. mean, at quote unquote radio row yeah so he will he does it he did that for quite some time and then you get to a certain point where it's not it's not the same level of excitement that i'm experiencing going for my third time when you've done it 10 plus years it just doesn't invoke that same type of reaction so i get his point of view i still enjoy going i hope when i get a little older maybe 20 30 years down the line i'll still hopefully still have a job and then if i do still have a job in this industry that I'll still enjoy going down there, meeting up with comrades and whatnot. But it's a it's a good event, but I understand people who are not too fond of it at a certain point because it's the same thing over and over. I just am not at their level yet, so I haven't developed a, not a distaste for it yet because I haven't been going. The repetition hasn't hit me enough yet, Phil. Well, I mean, I know you're excited. Have you, have you uh, figured out what you're packing yet? Have you got your... Uh... Your game plan, day-by-day outfits set out on the bed, and you know exactly where you're going to be eating throughout the week? So I know we got our itinerary yesterday emailed to us, so I know that point of view. I need to go to Perfecto Cleaners to get some closed iron, and then, yeah, pretty much. pretty much. I, I got to do laundry as well just because I want the clothes that I really enjoy wearing. I'm pretty I'm pretty lax and casual during the, during the night because there's different events. There's a David Buster's media event that I think is going to be a hoot. 
and there's a couple events that drinks are going to be provided. And you, uh, us media cohorts, Phil, like to get a little rowdy at times. So I'm kind of curious about how those events go. So I'm pretty excited. I've I've heard about that. Well, I mean, remember you are uh, you're going to be running through the bowels of the exact hotel that uh, that I was in with the Razorback baseball team yep. for ten days. Uh, so enjoy yourself, and make sure that if it, if there's free food available, I mean, this is the one thing I, I, I I'd forgotten. Ask. Is there free food for media members at media days? Because if there's anybody that knows how to finagle free food, it's sports media members. And at this big sort of an event, I mean, this is the one big get-together for all these media members until maybe, you know, the, the SEC championship game. And even this is a bigger gathering as far as the, the local reporters are concerned. I mean, there better be some free food for these people. Yeah, they have lunch for us every day during the week. They have Good. receptions for us Monday through Wednesday night. And then they're the only meal they're not providing for us is breakfast, and that's kind of beyond your own at that point. But, they, yeah, they're really, they're really good, and the food's good. It's always a good time. There was some really good food last year in Atlanta when I was down there, and then two years ago when I was in Birmingham, the food was good. And the best part about it, it's all you can eat, Phil. So you stuff your plate, you go to work, and you, uh, you grub up. You just don't want to eat too much. And they're loaded up with Dr. Pepper's, the big sponsor down there. So there's all these different soft drinks and stuff that keep you hydrated, keep you motivated for the full week. I, I fully expect to see you back late next week, five to ten pounds heavier with uh, probably get a with a lot of fa- with a lot of facial acne. I think that's what I'm expecting. So make sure this happens. Speaking of that, I got to go to the dermatologist after this today. So I got to get. I ran out of some. I, that's the one thing about you being at your age and me being mine. I still got to deal with the uh, the trepidation of having to deal with the not teenage face. What what am I a post grad? Like have still the possibility of getting acne and stuff, which I still unfortunately have to deal with at my age of 24. Hopefully that will eventually go away. I need to ask my dad when his acne and stuff started to, to decease. Oh, the acne away. just moves to other spots, my friend. It Thank moves you. from your face to your back or your shoulders. Ugh. Yeah, not, I mean, it's just a matter of it. It's like your hair eventually. All that nice hair on the top of your head, it's moving to other places on your body eventually. Well, the thing about the hair, Phil, is I only shampoo it once every three or four days because it's it's better for your hair follicles to do that that way. So I shampoo all condition, and I won't do anything to it one night. And so there's a little bit of natural grease that develops, and unfortunately that grease <laughs> seeps down into my face, and that in turn boils over uh, the occasional pimple or two, which I'm not fond of, but it's part of sacrificing one thing for another. And I care much more about my hair than my face, as you well know. You are making it sound like you are entering the last stages of puberty here at the age of 24, Ty. I think you actually hit those stages just a couple years ago. Yeah, something like that. It's I just I wish I was your age, man, so I didn't have to deal with that. You don't wish you were my <laughs> age. I know that for a fact. You do not want to skip from 24 to 42. It might sound good, but no, you don't want that. These are the salad days for you, my friend, which, by the way, I know you're not eating any salad next week at SEC Media Days. I'll be paying attention to Media Days, not just because you're there, but you got to know what to take with a grain of salt. You know, I mean, this is where there's going to be more coach speak spoken at the at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Hoover from Monday through Thursday next week than at any other point in one room throughout the rest of the football season. I mean, it's going to you have all 14 head coaches. You get all uh, well, you get the, you get 14 times three as far as the players, players. are concerned. So, I mean, there's going to be more coach speak. More play- the players, each one of them, have to be at least a little concerned about what they say and how it can be construed with their coaches there with them and the administrators uh, that are there with them and the sports information directors that are there with them as well. 
So you really got to be able to, you know, kind of separate the, uh, the 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 good from the bad, or the coach speak from the real speak, or the crap from the nutrition. You know, we're looking for the nutrition. So, and and I know there'll be some really ridiculous questions asked next week, but I'll be, I, you know, I'll be paying attention to what to what the to what the coaches are saying about position battles. Uh, for me at Arkansas this next year, I want to I want to know what. What sort of a battle you expect to see at the at the offensive line position for the month of August? Because, I mean, you've got you've got three positions there that seem up for grabs, maybe four. And this is uh, this to me, other than quarterback, of course, is going to be the most interesting position battle. However, it shakes out. That to me is going to be a really important part of what you see, uh, at least from what Chad Morris is talking about. And then improvement on the defense. And I want to know how that secondary, that young secondary, is able to improve from last year, if at all. I don't know if the coordinators ever joined the coaches in SEC media days, but I think you'd like to you'd like to talk to John Chavis about exactly that. So, but you know, I know there are a lot of people that will just sort of take the media days and cast them aside and just say, you know what, this is it's just promotion for a league that is already <laughs> so far ahead of what seems like every other league as far as awareness uh, of their excellence in, in college football. You know, and and that's kind of how I felt about the ESPY awards yesterday. You know, yesterday was was ESPY Day on ESPN. I mean, it was the and I know they they've raised over two hundred million dollars for cancer research through the Jimmy V. Fund. Wow, it crushed that. Uh, last I heard, it was over a hundred. They passed two hundred. Yeah, I mean, for 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 the all these years that they've been doing it, I think for twenty five years now at least. Okay. Uh, over two hundred million dollars raised for the Jimmy V. Foundation, and that's terrific. You know, I mean, this it seems to me that the ESPY awards. And I know they've got a college basketball, not tournament, but a classic that is played early in the basketball season that are centered around the Jimmy V Fund. And we all know the, the great speech that he gave. And there have been other great moments about the ESPYs, but it just seems to be such a, you know, a network self-aggrandizing event that I just, I've turned it off for, for a long time. Didn't pay attention to it yesterday. And I mean, honestly, I mean, here we are in an ESPN radio station. I couldn't tell you who won Athlete of the Year. I couldn't either. You know, I have to you know kind of look at it. Uh, you know, online we can all find things like this online, and you know, U.S. Women's National Team named uh, the top team in the country this last year. Uh, Alex Morgan named the top athlete, best male athlete was Giannis from the Bucks. Uh, you know, I mean, these are all it it it's programming is what it comes down to for me. It's taking the one day where there isn't really any major league event at all, no NFL football. No major league baseball game, no NHL, no NBA, uh, and and no golf tournament to worry about, no no NASCAR event to worry about, no big boxing matches, no WWE events. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's programming to put on, and so we've got so many other things to watch. So I watched a couple episodes of of uh, of Stranger Things instead, but it got us thinking that John, real quick, John Bench watched that whole season yesterday. No, I'm four. I'm four episodes in, so okay. I still have another what? Another, I think, six to go. So I mean, I, I I really have trouble watching an entire series in one sitting. I really can't. I can't do that. People used to do that and called it reading books. You know, sitting in a in a couch or a chair for about eight hours and flipping through this thing with pages made out of made out of paper. You used to do that for eight hours instead of binge shows. Not like I've you know sat and read a book for eight hours in a long time. But I just have trouble watching an entire episode or an entire series over the course of a, of, of a day. But, you know, it got us thinking yesterday, and we moved the segment from yesterday's rundown to today about 
Hog Espy Awards, and they've kind of done this already for a few years, although I felt like the they call them the Hogsby Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a little quieter with it this last year than in previous seasons. And maybe that some of that has to do with the... Uh, the football the, the, team and the basketball team sucking, yeah. Well, I was actually going to say a little bit of a differential in the personalities between the the, the man that's running the athletic department, that really. That, too. <laughs> I, think, I think that's actually part of it, too. Um, but, you know, we had our own thoughts on who would win Hog Espy Awards, uh, essentially, for the last athletic season. I guess this is, you know, the timing for the Espy Awards would work because it comes at the end, or at least a couple of weeks, after the college sports fiscal calendar comes to an end, which is pretty much on the same fiscal calendar that the government goes on from July to July. And what Tommy brought up, what I thought was an excellent point on the morning rush, is the fact that ESPN is using that night, Wednesday night, at a time where there was nothing going on. Like, just absolutely nothing was going on. All, the MLB All-Star breaks, so there's no games. There was yeah, you no- know what was played yesterday? The AAA All-Star game. Yeah, and so they have nothing to talk about. It's about as dried up as a sports radio uh, platform as it gets when it comes to trying to find topics. So ESPN, their executives are very smart in placing this so they have content to talk about. And I thought Tommy was spot on when he talked about that this morning. Yeah. So I mean, we had some of our ideas as to uh, as to uh, whom would be the best male or female athlete. I think it's a pretty easy choice for best female athlete because you know when you're when you got a national champion there, uh, then that would usually go. So Maria Fossey wasn't just the national champion for women's golf in the country; she was the SEC Female Athlete of the Year. So and 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 part of me wanted to go look at maybe Chelsea Dungey with what Chelsea was able to pull off, mm-hmm. but you. You can't go against SEC Female Athlete of the Year and being a golf national champion. So I think Maria Fossey is a pretty easy choice. We had different uh, different thoughts about best male athlete of the year. Uh, I'm go- I went with Isaiah Campbell, uh, the Arkansas pitching ace. Go figure, I go with the baseball guy, right? Uh, it, I mean, he was as dominant as dominant can be. And still, to not even be listed on one of the top two SEC teams as far as uh, the post vote, the postseason voting awards went, was just flooring because Campbell was named on on number on a number of lists as a second team All American uh, and two thirteen ERA, twelve wins, one loss. Guy that went into the seventh or eighth inning almost every time he went out there, struck out over a batter per inning, hundred twenty five strikeouts to twenty two walks. I think Isaiah Campbell had the best performance of any male athlete uh, that we pay attention to throughout the season. Do you have different thoughts? Yeah, I had Daniel Gaffer, and I know initially people were like, why do you think he was Male Athlete of the Year? I think for him to come back and do what he did, he just wasn't surrounded with with worthy pieces that were going to help him get to another NCAA tournament berth. And he still had fantastic numbers, like 16 points or hovering around 10 rebounds, and he was phenomenal this year. And I know there were the times where he was his balance went on top and he was falling down a couple times, but the dude was really solid that year and to be drafted where he was to the Bulls in the second round as being as productive in the summer league as he has so far. We'll get to that next segment. I had to give it to him. I just thought that he persevered through a lot of trials and tribulations that he didn't know that were going to occur because of the, the turnover with this year's squad and how young of a team was around him. I just I, I, I give him a lot of credit for coming back. And it's no there's no question Isaiah Campbell had the better year. And that's why I'm going to get to him and another Hogsby coming up. But 
I think I I have to give it to Daniel Gafford for what he did this past season. Now you went with Isaiah Campbell for the comeback play. Yeah, a little year. little asterisk around this. So with Isaiah Campbell, go back to twenty seventeen being injured. What injury did he suffer through? I'm blanking. He had, uh, on. Num- numerous bone chips yeah. in his elbow. So that uh, I let, there was a fantastic when Bo did the hog pod with him where he went over that with his parents and stuff. I thought that was a really good interview. And then twenty eighteen, kind of having an up and down season. A really stellar performance against Florida, pretty solid against South Carolina, and then we remember the Dallas Baptists were only pitched like 13 pitches, and then for him to come back and follow, this cannot be stressed enough, to follow the greatest pitching performance single season by a Razorback player ever, and to outdo it. The next, not, not wait five years down the road, not wait three years down the road, the next year, the guy you idolize, the guy that you pitched two spots behind. It was absolutely phenomenal. The pressure that was on him heading into the season was quite large, and yet he delivered every single time. So he was my comeback athlete of the year for Arkansas, Phil. And I went with Cody Scroggins for comeback athlete. And I saw, you know, I, I guess part of it is what do you view, what is a comeback? And I think for some of us it's coming back from a disappointing season or I think you described it up and down or inconsistent for some of us, comeback is from an injury, and that's what I'm looking at with Cody Scroggins, who really hadn't fully recovered from the Tommy John surgery that took him out of the 2017 season until this last year. I mean, he worked in 16 games in the 2018 season, but really was just about a one-inning guy, and he really wasn't out there for more than 15 innings for the entire season. So he hadn't really been healthy until this year, and Cody Scroggins was fully healthy this year and was dominant at times. I mean, his numbers, you got to take some of the numbers for a reliever, especially when they bounce between the rotation and the bullpen with a little bit of a grain of salt. 401 earned run average doesn't sound great, but he was outstanding in relief more than starting. I think he was miscast as a starter. Once he got into the bullpen, that really kind of helped the bullpen click for the rest of the season. Had two of the most important performances of the year as well in the postseason, beating TCU with two and two-thirds innings in the regional final. It was nearly perfect during that stretch. And then the dominant four and a third innings against Ole Miss in the final game of the Super Regional. And I, I went with Cody Scroggins, who, by the way, has started his professional career with the Red Sox organization now and is looking pretty good in rookie ball. Moving on to breakthrough athletes, I'm going to go Rakeem Boyd. Here's a guy that averaged over six yards a carry, had over seven yards, 100 yards behind a terrible offensive line last season. Shades at number five. You remember those highlights, a few of them he had, and it just reminded you of the good old Darren McFadden days. I don't know if he should be wearing that jersey or not. It's probably an argument or a conversation for another day, but I think he has potential. Brad Crawford, 24-7 sports, has him as a top 20 running back in the country. He's getting a couple accolades heading into the season. People think he's probably a better running back than Deb Wawelli. He had a really good breakout season last year, and that was coming through or kind of bursting through injuries and whatnot. Hopefully he can sustain sustain himself this year, get through the first year of being injury-ridden, injury-bugged, and kind of get more in tune with college football at the Division One level, especially in the SEC. My breakthrough athlete is Chelsea Dungy, who uh, finished her sophomore season and first year at Arkansas with the women's basketball team averaging 20.5 points per game. It's one of the highest per-season averages in Arkansas women's basketball history. Uh, she also, of course, had that amazing run throughout the SEC tournament where she uh, had a couple of 30-point efforts and uh, helped Arkansas get to the women's final for the first time ever and also had the 41-point game against Auburn, uh, which uh, was just the third time that a women's basketball player at Arkansas had ever scored 40 or more. 
And I think she's going to be even better next year. But she broke through this season, so I went with Chelsea Dungy as my breakthrough athlete of the year. Jeff Taylor and his staff over at Jeff's Clubhouse has a fantastic catering service, and they can almost cater up to any size. Give them a call today at 479-308-9123 or check them out on Facebook or visit online at theclubhousefs.com. Now back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. We had Sam Smith, who covers the Bulls for Bulls.com, join us last week. And, of course, he wrote that famous book, uh, about Michael Jordan's first championship season with the Bulls called the Jordan Rules. You know, that book would not have happened if it wasn't for Ball Four, the outstanding uh, autobiography, essentially, of the 1969 season by Jim uh, B- Bouton, who uh, passed away yesterday, uh, former Yankee pitcher, uh, basically exposed the underbelly of athletes in a way that had never been done before, and it changed sports, it changed books, it changed sports writing. W- what's your reaction to the things that have been coming out, just how people have been talking about this book, which just changed society in ways that I'm not even sure if people appreciate right now? Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly when, but I, I probably read Ball 4 maybe when I was in college. It came out in 69, and uh, so I would have read it maybe ten years or so after it uh, after it was uh, first, or maybe I read it earlier. But yeah, it definitely makes an impression on you. you know, people might read it today and think, "Well, it's pretty tame stuff with all the things we have going now with social media and Twitter and all that." But yeah, back then it was really groundbreaking uh, for somebody to uh, you know talk about it. Players taking amphetamines, you know, greenies to, to try to get through the season and. And, you know, guys, you know, messing around on, on the road, you know, and, uh, you know, he really was just, just giving people a, a real, a, a realistic view of what it's like to be a big league ball player. And, uh, you know, major league, I know Bowie Kuna, commissioner's time, you know, didn't like it. A lot of players didn't like it because they felt like he sort of tattletailed on him. But, um, I, I didn't realize this reading some of the obituaries on Jim Bowden, but I guess the New York, Public Library, it's the only sports book they had on, like, the most significant books of the 20th century or something like that. Um, now, I would like to think there would be a few more sports books out there, but, it, yeah, it, it really transcended sports, and, and you know, it really became kind of a pop culture uh, kind of thing. But it changed the way that sports was covered, and, you know, it, it, it took away that, that proximity or that closeness, I think, of the relationships that athletes had with sports writers. Essentially, sports writers were like ghost writers for athletes for years and years and years. You know, and your career started, you know, about a decade or so after the the book came out. And by that time, you know, it was expected now that sports writers would expose things if they came across it rather than acting as PR members for those who they're covering. I know in Arkansas, we get accused sometimes of, you know, being essentially an arm of the PR department of the University of Arkansas. I don't necessarily think that's the case. This book is the reason why that relationship changed. Yeah, I mean, you go, so, you know, they tell stories about Babe Ruth. They do all these outrageous things, and the writers would, would uh, co- not necessarily cover it up. They just wouldn't write about it. And I think, I think Watergate had some, some stuff to do with that too. Uh, you know, in the seventies, people were, the seventies was a big decade for change and kind of questioning authority. Uh, that, that obviously started happening in the late sixties too. But, um, yeah, it, it wasn't uncommon in the old days for the media to travel on trains and then later planes with, 
uh, you know, teams and you got close to people and things like that. And, you know, the way I always talk to people is, you know, the sometimes I'll see somebody on a plane or in an airport or something and, you know, we're all going to a game and they say, oh, write good things. And I always say, well, I'll, I'll write good things if they did good things. You know, I, I just try to cover the team, write what happens. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, you know, but you just, you just try to cover the team pretty much down the middle. Bob, I got I got something I got to ask you about SEC media days because I know you're going. I think that's like how many how many media days in a row will this be for you? You know, I don't know. Um, I guess going back to the to the early '90s. I guess I really hadn't thought about that. But I you ever missed I've one? Most of them. You ever missed one? You know, I can't remember. I don't remember missing one. But if you sat there and said, "Well, did you go in 1995?" I couldn't swear to it. Um, as far as I know, as long as we've been sending people, I've been going. But it may have been that some years, maybe like back when Steve Caldwell or Scott Kane worked for us before Tom, um, maybe there was some year where one of them went, or just we just sent one person. I don't think so, though. But um, I, I don't recall missing one, but I don't want to be, you know, I, I don't want to find out that somebody says, hey, you weren't there in 1996 or something, but well, people, I don't recall missing him. I, I feel, Bob, like there'd be a big stink made by all the media members if you're not there. You know, I mean, you, I feel like you're almost part of the attraction. You know, and, and, you know, there was that great great um, profile written in AL.com about you a few years ago and your interviewing style and everything, but it, it just seems like, uh, you know, as far as print media members go, there's a spot. There's a little bit of a spotlight on you. Do you feel that when you're at SEC Media Days because you're trying to work? You're putting the spotlight on the coaches and on the players. And I know you're not a, a look at me kind of a guy, but when it comes time for for these media days, I feel like people are looking forward. I'm not just in Arkansas, across the entire league, they're looking forward to hearing your questions and then more questions. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Michael Casagrande, great guy from AL.com, covers Alabama, a really good reporter. He got the idea to write that a few years ago, and I thought he was kidding. I kind of was joking with him, and I, he was just kind of looking for something different, I guess. And I, I sort of got this, I don't know, reputation. I mean, obviously everybody wants to ask Nick Saban questions or, or uh, you know, who, whoever the hot coach is at the time. But, uh, you know, because we do, we do these stories. We, we do a series on all the teams. Me and Tom divide them up, so we do seven and seven. used to be six and six. And, uh so I might be asking the, you know, Kentucky coach, of course, Kentucky was great last year, but I might be asking a team that didn't get a lot of attention several questions. I think it happened when Gus Malzahn, you know, was in his first year at Auburn as head coach. Of course, Gus is, a, is an Arkansas native. So I asked a couple questions, and then nobody else was asking them, so I just kind of did a rapid-fire thing. There were several things going on. I think Gus had gotten inducted into the Arkansas High School Coaches Hall of Fame, and he had several Arkansas assistants. And so everybody else is just kind of sitting around not doing anything. So I had several questions that everybody made a big deal out of it. Really, I was just kind of keeping things, you know, I was just kind of keeping things flowing, you know. Talking with longtime Arkansas sports writer Bob Holt every Thursday here on Halftime. Bob, so we know who's going to John Harris, uh, McTelvin Aguim, and Deb Wall-Whaley for Arkansas. Why do you think Chad Morris elected not to bring Ben Hicks? Probably because he hadn't played a game yet for the Razorbacks. I don't. I haven't asked Chad that. I guess we can ask him that at media days. But um, you know, last year he took three seniors. This year he takes three seniors. Um, you know, some coaches seem to take who they maybe think their best players are, or 
you know, obviously you want guys that are going to be good quotes, you know, give good interviews, these things, because there's this massive amount of media. Some guys, you know, Alabama brings three juniors, but of course their best players always leave after their junior year, so it's kind of like their seniors. But uh, I think Chad wants to bring guys, and we feel, quote, paid their dues maybe. I mean, all the three guys you mentioned have all played a lot of games for Arkansas. They've been very productive. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that Ben Hicks would do a good job, and he's obviously been productive at SMU, not Arkansas. So my guess is Chad was wanting to bring three guys who played a lot of games at Arkansas and put up a lot of good stats. Um, and no offense to Ben Hicks, but he obviously hadn't played at you know played played a game at Arkansas yet. So, Bob, outside of Arkansas, of the players listed that you saw from the other SEC schools, which one are you most interested in potentially speaking to? Oh, yeah, I think that's pretty easy. When I saw Missouri, <laughs> I was bringing you know, uh, uh, Kelly Bryant, you know, the the, Clem- the former Clemson quarterback who visited Arkansas. A lot of people thought he was going to come to Arkansas. Chad Morris recruited him. And he ended up going to Missouri. So not only did he not go to Arkansas, he went to a team that's going to play Arkansas. And so that that was definitely the, the name that jumped out to me. Well, and, you know, quarterbacks are the thing. I saw nine quarterbacks are going to be there at SEC Media Days. And if a quarterback is there, they're the starter. They have to be anointed the starter. And that's what, you know, I thought that's why Ben Hicks is not there. Because well, and you're right. That's a good point because you know Nick Starkle's obviously going to come in and compete for that job, and you know some of the other guys on campus are going to compete for it too. So that, that that that's probably twofold. One, he had played a game at Arkansas, and two, he's not initially an, an entrenched starter. Well, and it's all you look at Kelly Bryant. He's he's the anointed starter. I mean, he's that's the reason he went there, which makes it so much different, but similar at the same time to Ben Hicks, who also has one year of eligibility left as a graduate transfer. You know, he he sees a coach that he played for, and he sees a team that desperately needed uh, an upgraded quarterback. Um, but it's it's you know obviously different situations. Kelly Bryant's not going to be competing for the job; he's being given it. You know, and I'm looking at Ole Miss. And and Matt Luke is bringing is bringing Matt Coral with him. He's a redshirt freshman. He's the only player that's even in his second year with a program that is at SEC Media Day. So I mean, right then and there, as a redshirt freshman, he's anointed the starting quarterback. Yeah, it's a different deal, and you know that that that's definitely an exception. I would say for a for a coach to bring a guy, um, you know, who had he's I know he played some last year a little bit as a backup, but. On the other hand, I think it speaks to, I mean, media days, the spotlight's on you, and you don't want to bring guys, um, you know, no offense, but if there's some, you know, you look, look, your left guard, you know, he might be your best player, but, you know, quarterback's kind of where it's at, and, you know, and, and when you have a, a new quarterback, uh, you know, that, that's big news, and, and so you want people writing about your program, and you want, you know, get your guys on TV or on social media or whatever, and so one way to do this is to bring the quarterback. Let me close on on this thought, because with it, when the the release of the the, um, the the new uniform or the alternate uniform a couple of days ago, wearing number five, you can see little little dreads popping out from the helmet. It's Trey Knox. He's never played it down for Arkansas yet. He is wearing the number five uniform, the most revered number right now. I think of any player that people can think of over the last twenty five years, and it seems to me uh, that's a lot to put on on a freshman. Uh, obviously, you know, he would think, and I think the coaches think he could handle it, otherwise they wouldn't do this, but did you glean anything from the from the fact that it was Trey Knox that was modeling these these uniforms that everybody made such a big deal about? 
Yeah, I really hadn't thought about that way. He is a very heralded player. You know, he was here in the spring. He, I think they're counting on him to do a lot of stuff as a freshman, you know, because receivers, you know, was not the strongest position last year. Obviously, they had a lot of issues going 2-10, and 10, but uh, I think they're really looking for some of the speed of these freshmen to help them there. And um, also, I mean, I think, I, I guess he's going to be number five and. And you want people associating him, people associate with McFadden. You don't want to say, hey, he's obviously they play different spots, but you don't want to say, well, he's going to be as good as Derek McFadden. I mean, Derek McFadden's arguably the best Arkansas, the best player Arkansas has ever had. And, uh, you know, two time Heisman runner up, probably should have won it. Not Michael Jerry, probably should have won it at least once. No, probably about it. And, uh, so. Yeah, but I think probably had more to do with the number five. They probably want to get the number five out there because that's such a recognizable number to the fans. Bob, we'll let you head out. Really appreciate you, man. I think time might uh, try to catch up with you at SEC Media Days uh, before you head out of town. So safe travels, enjoy the trip, and uh, enjoy the free food there at the Media Days, too. Okay, you guys take care. Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you. So last Thursday, we didn't have a show. That was America's birthday. The Thursday before, I was in Savannah, and we didn't have halftime homework. So it's been two weeks since we've been able to do it. And that is time for Halftime Homework. Oh, I'm I don't trust this kid any further than I can throw him. I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Get out of my class. Out, get out. I was still thinking of going back to school. I do my homework now. The millennial versus the middle-aged. It's time for halftime homework. So, Ty, you heard me mention with uh, with Bob Holt about the, uh, the death of Jim Bounton who, you know, he was a good pitcher, a guy that had an interesting major league career because he initially came up with the Yankees in the late 50s, early 60s, more of the early 60s, a guy that threw really hard but threw with such effort that he eventually just blew out his arm. He had a couple of good seasons with the Yankees, won 21 games with them in 1963, 18 games the next year, and then really wasn't the same after that because he blew his arm out. And, And Bouton... Uh, you know, was uh, left the Yankees after the 1968 season and uh, had been picked up by the Seattle Pilots. The Seattle Pilots are now the Milwaukee Brewers. They spent one year. They were an expansion team. They were the first major league team in Seattle. Um, they were terrible. Nobody went to their games. That's why they moved to Milwaukee in 1970. Bouton pitched for them in 1969. That's the season he wrote about. Uh, when he remade himself essentially as a knuckleballer, a guy that used to throw mid-90s that remade himself as a knuckleballer, and, and, and wrote this expose of what it is like to be a professional baseball player with the underbelly of all of it. And I just felt like it was pretty important to at least get this, get some of this out there because I'd mentioned last week you were great getting Sam Smith uh, on with us, the Bulls.com writer, longtime basketball uh, writer for the uh, Chicago Tribune, and the author of the Jordan Rules. And remember I'd said there were three sports books that I had read in my you know, adolescence that I felt had a pretty deep impact upon me. And the first is Season on the Brink by John Feinstein, his season spent uh, following around uh, Bobby Knight 
the most uh, the the quote that always stuck with me from that was when Feinstein left for the last time. Knight told him, "Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out." Uh, and then there was Buzz Bissinger's Friday Night Lights, and and then there was the Jordan Rules by Sam Smith. Uh, what what made the Jordan Rules so interesting was how it took this this megastar in in Michael Jordan, who we all knew at that point as the smiling dunker who would have his tongue wagging out, and we just thought he was a great guy, you know. And 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 it turned out that I mean, as everybody is, he Michael Jordan was much more of a nuanced person, and there were some things about him that would piss you off if you were a friend of his or a teammate of his. Uh, and he, you know, Smith exposed Michael Jordan for really the person that he was. None of any of these books, none of any of that point of view would have been available to writers as a construct to write about without Ball Four. It is the most influential sports book ever written. That's why it's on the New York Libraries, the New York Public Libraries list of, of as the only sports book as the mo- as one of the most influential books in American history. So I felt like it's important to at least get the point across as I'm trying to bring you up to date on some of the things that I grew up with. When I read Ball Four, I thought to myself, you know what? Some of this stuff seems to be pretty tame. But back then in 1970, it was outlandish to think about about ball players telling stories about other ball players chasing women or worried about women in the stands during a game or taking amphetamines during a game or showing up to a game drunk or the drinking that they would do after games. Essentially just all of the stuff that now we kind of think we know about. It's common. You didn't know about it before then. You just didn't. Because players always adhered to what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse, which essentially means anything that happens amongst your teammates stays amongst your teammates. Sports writers also adhered to that very same strategy. Here's Jim Bouton. This is a, this is about a two-minute clip, but I think it's important to play. And this gives you a window as to why ball four is just so important in the American sports book lexicon. Most um, sports writers uh, or players had had never conveyed uh, what it's like uh, on a baseball team and the buses the hotel rooms the bars the roof of a hotel you know all of that um it, it was sort of hidden from baseball most uh sports writers uh considered themselves extension of the team's public relations department you know their job is to make the team look good help the team win and uh anything controversial was, uh, was, was rarely ever printed. Most sports writers that followed the teams around the country uh, had their hotel rooms paid for. And sometimes when they checked out, there was an envelope for them with some money in it. So their job was to be an extension of the public relations department. Um, and so there had always been this sort of milk and cookies image of baseball players. <clears throat> and Ball Four was the first book to show that that wasn't exactly true. Uh, but it turned out uh, the baseball players are far more interesting and funny than uh, than the milk and cookies image. So while on the one hand it was considered very, very controversial, on the other hand it was uh, very funny and revealing and fans uh, loved the book, you know, readers. The players didn't like it. Of course, most of them hadn't read it in the first place and probably still haven't read it to this day. Um, and the baseball commissioner, Bowie Kuhn, um, wanted to uh, try to ban the book. 
He tried to get me to sign a statement saying that it wasn't true, that I had made things up. Um, well, so you could hear. I mean, it it had it had a deep impact upon the people who read it. The players hated him for this. They black he was blackballed from baseball for years because of it. Mickey Mantle wouldn't even wouldn't even mention Jim Bouton's name until just before his death, and the two reconciled. He really did. He put his career on the line and ended up coming on on the other side, uh, bright and shining. And, and he's 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 a hero to many baseball people for for the way he wrote. Uh, and also for sports writers, I felt he's a hero too. I think at some point you need to pick up a copy of Ball Four. It's going to come off as tame, but try to put yourself in the shoes of 1970 and what sports was like then. You'll be blown away by what you read. So I wasn't texting earlier. I was actually typing down in my notes to do that exact same thing is buy Ball Four. And also, I didn't even know this shows my ignorance. I didn't even know Friday Night Lights was a book to begin with. And you said by H.G. Bessinger? Bissinger? Buzz Bissinger. Buzz yeah, I mean, it's Bissinger. a true story. Yeah. It's a true story of the of of, of the Permian, the per, I forget the name of the Permian team, but Permian uh, football yeah. throughout an entire season. And it came out, what, early 90s? Again, it's another one of those of those of those books that where 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 a player or, or really a, now a journalist spends an entire year with a team and you get to see everything going on. That's that's essentially what Bounton was doing, but he was also playing for the team. So I have those two books that I've written down in my notes to get either next couple months or save for Christmas or whatnot because I've tried to get back more into reading now that I have a little bit of time before football season. What am I reading right now? I'm reading uh, I'm reading the Hoon's Mag to get ready for SEC Media Days. Also reading, it's uh, not saying I finished this. Uh, it's Eleven Rings by. Uh, it's a Phil Jackson autobiography and someone else, but kind of kind of back to that point, Phil, where you where you were talking about with Bowden, like just for for him to not expose, but just kind of bring into the light what was going on, because you can't when you're when you're you have a certain image of athletes and stuff throughout growing up, and it's it's obviously a lot more tame when you're younger, and then once you get a little older, you see what happens and stuff, but. For that to be a, a them to be looked at as like cookie cutter and perfect, that's not what it was. And I know I'd I'd be ticked off if I was a player at the time that, and then all of a sudden this stuff comes out about me or whatever. And I've heard the statistic. I have no idea if this is factual or not, but it's like ninety plus MLB players or sleep out on their wives and stuff, which is just like a wild. And I, again, I have no idea if that's it's that that's correct or anything, but it just kind of shows you what the lifestyle is like along with the drinking and everything else that goes on within a baseball clubhouse. Well, it's, an, it's an important book, I think, for uh, from the perspective of, of sports journalism and definitely for, the, for, the, for the, the lens that we view athletes through today because we weren't allowed to view them as just regular people with faults and, and in some cases were dirtbags. You would never know some of these stories without the perspective now given to us through ball four. Yeah, I'm excited to read that. And again, I got a couple of books that I have to get to, but I am planning on getting this sometime this year, so I'll eventually get to it. So Phil's homework assignment for me a couple weeks ago was to watch the entire, every episode of Cheers before summer's in. That's a a lot. lot. I I will say that. And I'm going to be honest, I told Phil early on, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to it, but I did start watching them today when I went back for my late breakfast, early lunch. And I really enjoyed the first episode. So I can't even, I know Coach, I know the the good-looking former baseball player that's a bartender, and I know their new waitress. And it shows you that I, 
I was doing my best to watch it, but it's just so that Sam Malone is the bartender, yes. and and that's Diane uh, Diane Chambers is, okay. is is Shelley Long who plays the waitress. Correct. And the opening scene is that little kid trying to buy beer with a fake, and I can honestly hand on the Bible say that I have never tried to buy beer with a fake. Now I've gotten friends to buy it for me, but I've never done that. I just kind of found that scene funny. And then when she didn't want people to know that she was uh, eloping and going on her honeymoon or about to get married or whatever. She was marrying her college professor, by yeah, the way. Yeah, which is a little interesting. And he ends up going back to his uh, ex-wife and going on to, where was it? Was it was it Cozumel? Where, did, where were they planning on going? Do you remember? I don't remember they were going, but I remember the professor's name was Sumner. Yeah, <laughs> Professor Sumner. And so instead of telling the the patrons that were also at the bar she wanted to keep it down so he's just going around telling people she was a hooker which was which was quite funny i found that uh what else i'm gonna start using the word buster again i haven't used buster since i was in like middle school or like elementary it's a good school. early 80s word to use for kids you usually using it for kids yeah so i'm gonna start using the word buster again when when it's more in like joking terms with hey buster you can't do that or hey buster come here or something like that i'm going to start picking up that word again cuz it's a word i used to enjoy using and it just kind of was stricken from my vocabulary i'm going to i'm going to toss it back in there but yeah early on really liked i'm about a an episode and half of one in i'm going to go back when i get home after i'm done working and watch another episode i think i'm i think i'm going to take a liking to this show it's very similar to How I Met Your Mother, where they just have friends at a bar, except it's more on the workers at the bar than that. And I feel like that this hopefully will have a better ending than How I Met Your Mother, because that ending to that TV show is absolutely dreadful. You know, and I remember I remember talking to you about the, one of the differences from Cheers, from really any other sitcom that I can remember, was that it was, it was, it was uh, recorded on film instead of videotape, so that there's a richer overall, you know, the the... the the colors, you know, everything, the movement are just richer because it's on film, and it's filmed in front of a live studio audience. No laugh just, track. Yeah. Not a lot of not a lot of sitcoms. None today are in front of a live studio audience. So I mean, that was these were great actors to be able to do that show for that long in front of a live audience. And by the way, if you can do it, I don't know if you can pull this off by the start of football season. Two hundred seventy-five episodes. Good grief, of Cheers. Phil. <laughs> from September 1982 through May 1993, 275 half-hour episodes. Do you have enough life to waste on this? Can you make it? Uh, can you make it through 275? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and 100 percent tell you that I'll be able to do that. I'll do my best. Like I tried to do it with Game of Thrones, and then up to the final episode, I wasn't able to succeed. I think I watched it by all episodes by the end of that week. But I'll, I'll do my darndest to give it the old college try. It's 8,250 hours. Jeez, Bill. <laughs> All right, if you can pull this off, and that means you'll be you'll be going. You'll, I don't know if you can pull this off by the start of the football season, but I what I'm really looking for from you is is an opinion, because the and 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 the opinions that we all had about Cheers had to do with was the show better with Diane with Shelley Long or with Rebecca, Kirstie Alley, and was it better with this guy, Coach? Cheers. Yeah, just a sec. Is there a Rudy Pantuso here? That's you, Coach. Speaking. <laughs> or was it better with Woody? 
This might be part of Gary's master plan. What? What do you? Yeah, think? keep us on the edge, put us off balance. Huh? Yeah, Mr. Clavin's right. You know, I think Gary's probably playing with us like a rat with a mouse. That's a cat and a mouse. Wait. <laughs> Sam, a cat and a mouse don't play together. They're mortal enemies. They don't even know the same game. <laughs> think before you speak, Sam. It's difficult. Yeah, honestly, I've I've always been in the in the in the Diane camp as far as Diane versus Rebecca. I just think Shelley Long was a brilliant comedic actress. It is really difficult to decide between Nicholas Colasanto, coach, or Woody Harrelson, Woody, because the two of them were beautiful characters. It's a shame they could never share the screen at the same time. Yeah, and I like Woody Harrelson, but the Woody Harrelson I know is white men can't jump, friends with benefits, I think Hunger Games. Like that's a that's a millennial gap between the the Woody Harrelson you know from Cheers and the Woody Harrelson I know. So I'm kind of curious to see what. It's always fun to go back. Obviously, your depiction of different movie actors and actresses over the years is a lot different from mine. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. How I know them from hey, that's uh, that's her from this movie that came out five years ago, and, and you're like, no, 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 that's her from came out this movie like 30 years ago. It's just funny how we. Uh, look at actors and actresses from different movies and different eras, and we see them for something that the other person typically doesn't see them as. What was most difficult for me to accept about Woody Harrelson going from Woody Boyd, the, the uh, you know, green as green gets, bartender from Indiana that's in the big city in Boston, how he goes from that character to playing Mickey Knox from Natural Born Killers. The, the crazy movie from 1994. I think he played that with Ju- Juliette Lewis, I believe. That's just an absolutely crazy movie. It just it shows some range, you know, as an actor. And I think I think Woody Harrelson had all of that. All right, so I'm going to need an opinion at some point because you can't you can't be a fan of Cheers without having an opinion about these these two debates. How long till I get to Diane? You I know? think that's well. Diane is the one you're watching now. Oh, uh, that's Shelley Long. Rebecca, I think, came in in the sixth or seventh season. So I got a ways to go. Jeez, you do have a ways to go, but that means you get to fall in love with Shelley Long's character Diane because she she's she's terrific. She's so funny, and the and the relationship dynamic with Sam Malone, and then see how the show changed once Rebecca came on. I mean, it was still good for me. It just wasn't as good. That's all. Okay, I think you'll love it either way. Typically, the shows over time they. They get worse. It's hard to just keep up the same consistency, the same respect, the same talent, whatever the show's level of that. Typically, it it moseys off and it kind of you jump off you jump off the boat. It's just not as good. So my homework assignment for you: I've got six movies here that you can choose from, and again, you are a hundred percent allowed to pick whatever one you want. All Have right. you seen? And I want you to watch one that you haven't seen. Okay. So I saw this tra- and I was trying to think of like. It's it's I don't want to give you like a millennial movie, but I'm trying to pick out a movie that's happened in the last 10, 15 years so I can call it my era of movies, even though it might not be looked at that way. Have you seen Gone Girl? Yes. Okay. So I I got very good. It. That's an outstanding outstanding movie. Have yes. you seen The Departed with DiCaprio and who Damon? hasn't? Okay, I, I figured. What about The Prestige with Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman? I think that one I might, I don't, I'd have not seen that one, no. Okay, Role Models. Have you seen Role Models with uh, Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott? Missed that one. Okay. Hot Rod? Nope. Okay, so you haven't seen those three. And then what was the, do you remember the third one I told you? Fourth one that I was talking about? Did you say Good Luck Chuck? Yeah, Good Luck Chuck, because we were talking about Dane Cook or whatever. 
So I'll describe each don't, of them. Don't have me watch a Dane Cook movie. Okay. I'll just put a request in for that. So don't watch that. All right, so I'm going to describe each of these movies. You're more of a comedic guy, so I'm thinking you might lean towards one of the two uh, comedy ones. As far as this goes, Phil, The Prestige is with Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman. They're both magicians. They both have stellar tricks, and there's a it's kind of a drama-slash-thriller Ooh, this is a Christopher Nolan-directed yeah, movie. It's really good, man. It's pretty solid. I'm surprised you hadn't seen it. Uh, for the audience listening, if you if you have a choice that you think Phil should see between, again, The Prestige, Role Models, and Hot Rod, text us in 877-377-6963. So that's one. Number two, Role Models. It's Paul Rudd. It's Sean William Scott. It's about them getting into trouble, and they have to tutor these kids through a, a program like Big Brother, Little Brother, like that. It's really funny. It's pretty... Solid comedy movie. And then Hot Rod, Annie Sandberg. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this movie. It's just like, it, it is the definition of a stupid millennial movie. But Why don't I just go with The Prestige? Yeah, I, Alan Fort Smith says you should go with The Prestige. So I'm thinking you should probably end up with that. It's Al, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to go with The Prestige. We've got another one. Hunter and Fort Smith says The Prestige before I watch anything else. Uh, We've got I, two I, votes for The Prestige already. Let's just say that. I'm surprised you had not seen that movie, man. That's a pretty, especially with Christopher Nolan behind it, that's a pretty popular movie. Maybe I'm so, just not as hip as you think I am. Maybe not. Maybe I'm overestimating your hipness. So you, do you know what? Do you know what obviously did. Yeah. Do you know what bet means? Like, not just the casual, like, I'm going to place a bet. Do you know what bet means? Bet like you bet. Okay, so you don't know what that means. Obviously, no, I don't. You go to go ahead and push that button that I don't have access to. Generational gap. So I like Thank to mess. I, I like to mess with Tommy. Tommy was giving me a hard time because apparently Dank is out of style because he he told his kids that and they said that was so like two years ago. And so <laughs> I text uh, Tommy. I, I was asking him what dermatologist I could I should go to, and he texted me back the the doctor, and I just sent him back bet. And I'm curious to to know his reaction tomorrow when he comes in because there, no, there's no way he knows what that means if I, by just saying but bet's just another way of like saying cool that's fine okay just another dumb millennial term that you can use i just love that you for, got you got tommy saying dank that's, yeah that's a beautiful thought thank yeah. you very much i don't think time. he's going to use it any, I, if he sends me back a text like like if i send him something hey i got this finished and he says bet i think i'll fall out of my chair and i think i might have a heart attack like straight up you're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.